Hey everyone, welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. My name is Ken Underhill, your host. In today's episode, I have a special guest, Ron Brash. He's the Director of Cybersecurity Insights for a company called Verve Industrial Protection, which the name of that gives it a little bit away, but Ron, do you mind just telling the audience what it is you actually are doing right now? Oh boy, great great question, Ken. Um, I do about 50 things, uh, either for the company or outside for my own interest, but Largely what we do is we, we work in the critical infrastructure space and, and many industrial type uh, organizations. And what we do is we provide solutions and services that surround uh, realistic cybersecurity for, for large companies like for power generation, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing, anything that is kind of a, of a critical nature and sorts where that could be you know, your, your regular utilities in your municipality or city. Uh, to various other other you know similar industries as well, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an industry; it could be uh, a state resource, but something along those lines. And so, what I do is not just advise uh, various industries or things that are using industrial systems or embedded systems, and particularly embedded systems. Um, and then I also help provide uh, sort of a research and, and development aspect to to supporting devices, right? So every vendor has their own way of doing things. And I basically just, I, I work through those devices. I look for vulnerabilities uh, here and there to make sure our customers are properly protected and aware of any risk. And uh, yeah, and then I just try to do the best I can and be an evangelist for the industry and not, and not, uh, and not, not share FUD basically. <laughs> nice. So it's, it's been a little while since we've uh, chatted Ron um, for those that don't know you, you're you're up in Canada. What have you been up to lately? And and with that, what has changed around that with like coronavirus and stuff going on? Oh well, for myself, I haven't been on the back of an airplane uh, <laughs> usually once a week or once every two weeks. That's uh, that's been that's what's really changed for uh, for me. In terms of business, uh, we we have not been hit by the coronavirus, and that's something interesting about cybersecurity or working with critical infrastructure. Throughout the all of the debacles of coronavirus, whether they're in Canada, United States, or Europe or Asia, uh, infrastructure has been staying up; it hasn't gone down, and I think that's largely kind of uh, a sign of you know the success and the strength of what we're doing. So we are we're working full tilt. Uh, but the only challenges, of course, are I can't go across the border or fly somewhere. But uh, for everyone, our teams that are working in the United States, they're they're working full tilt. Um, there's no shortage of work for us. We're not getting layoff, layoffs or furloughed. Nice, nice. Um, well, it, it's kind of, I mean, the only thing it's kind of, it, it has made a few uh, challenges for us logistically, right? So, you know, sometimes you need to rely on other individuals that are already on site because uh, you can't go to a site because of their, their policies and procedures uh, with the virus. So you have to rely on others or rely on things remote or you know things may take a little longer than usual, but for the most part, uh, it's business as usual for us. Nice. Now, are there any, um, like do you have any other projects going on like on the side, like any kind of cool things you're working on right now? Oh, oh, my favorite <laughs> thing. Uh, plenty, plenty. So. I have an interesting background with signals analysis uh, with, with neuroscience. So I try to apply some of that to and embedded systems to what I've been doing. And recently I've been playing around a lot with, with wireless technologies for GPS. Uh, and because we 
from from a cybersecurity perspective, endpoint management and network security, they're pretty well understood for the physical aspects of it. But for for assets that are transient or wireless, uh, we're just beginning to scrape the surface, at least within the commercial realm. I can't say for military, but in the, within the commercial realm of of industry, no one's doing wireless device security very well, if at all. Uh, I would say nobody is. There's humongous gaps there. So that's one of the areas that I've been doing a lot of work with with SDRs, our software-defined radios, and then I've also been uh, looking at a lot of different binaries and analysis uh, across the board, and and just just really digging into different types of firmware for embedded devices to find vulnerabilities that are uh, maybe known for one particular vendor, but not known for another one because that vendor has never pub isn't either either not aware of those vulnerabilities or not publishing uh, responsibly for disclosure. So to help our customers understand risk, or even I don't care if it's even our customers, it could be any customer to properly understand their risk then uh, that's that's another area where I've been, been playing around with uh, those type of things, like hardware, RATA, and stuff like that. Okay, cool. Are, are you working on any certifications right now? Like, are you going for any certs or anything? Yeah, I'm actually not a huge believer of certs in the whole industry. I think career paths uh, typically dictate that, depending on where you are and what you're doing. So if you're working... Uh, for for a government organization that that prizes certifications, or or you're just getting started in your career, I think certifications are great. But um, so I would never probably get my CISSP for various reasons. Right. But in terms of the industrial world, there's there's one organization that really stands out, and that is ISA, uh, International Standards Association. No, International. Oh boy, what is it? ISA. Uh, International Society of Automation, um, and there's the 62443 series of standards, and there's there's four certifications there in in the process to become a 62443 expert, quote unquote. And I just finished my second one uh, almost back to back uh, with the previous one. So the fundamentals uh, is very very wide and encompassed in in the coverage uh, across all the domains, and then the second one is far more uh, focused towards uh, risk assessment, and the third and fourth are more related to uh, maintenance and development and implementation of cybersecurity strategies. So um, I'm in the process of, of that, uh, but it's, again, it's, it's, it's interesting. I just did it to validate my knowledge formally, but it's, it's fun. Nice. Now, I know uh, last year at Black Hat, we kind of chatted a, a little bit, and you mentioned you were working on some stuff with Python uh, around the web and stuff. Are you, are you still working on that project or is that kind of been tabled for now? Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of tabled it for now, but I did do a lot of preliminary analysis offline. And, and I think there's, there's, gonna, there's a lot of comp companies that are missing the boat on discussing uh, sources of risk to the organization or even actually getting proper vulnerability information. Right now, we're, we rely on organizations like uh, the National, or ICS CERT or the National Vulnerability Database to get our vulnerability information, uh, primarily in the format of CVs. And what I've noticed is there, there was a lot of discrepancies on how you look at different pieces of information because one might have, you know, two thirds of the puzzle and the vendor page actually has all of it or there's very little in one versus the other. And so you need to put all that together. So I did, I did table that project, but it does represent a very good opportunity 
Um, and I do know a few groups that are working on something similar. I won't say too much about that, but I have tabled it. Um, but that research, I think, has been been an eye opener uh, for one thing. The other thing I, I, that coincides with that, uh, despite that project being tabled, is through my research for you know reverse engineering firmware or devices uh, or network protocols, I've discovered a obvious but unlikely source of vulnerabilities in devices. And what I've noticed is that you often see things that point to a vulnerability that has been fixed in, in a product's uh, update or release that is not, and that information is never published in a, in a public manner. So for example, I was looking at a GPS uh, receiver, it's a low cost device, uh, very common uh, in small facilities because no one wants to spend you know, uh, $1,500 for a, for, a, for a GPS receiver. Or DNS, and what and what I looked in the notes, it said, "Hey, there's an update for it." And I said, "Great, okay, I read the notes because I always read the manual." And it says we fixed a password buffer or a password issue, and there was a buffer overflow. But there's no vulnerability for that device. So I've been finding a lot of treats uh, in in a lot of documentation for various products, including a very large industrial vendor that says, "If you enable this feature." Uh, you may be susceptible to XML injection attacks or unauthorized um, uh, responses or, or uh, some sort of connection to the device. And so that's related to that project where there's so much more, you know, intelligent op or operational intelligence you can garner about vulnerabilities in a device from things that are not directly tagged as vulnerability uh, sources of information. So that was kind of something I kind of stumbled across and I've been stumbling across it a lot recently and I maybe those that are on a, uh, that are unacquainted to our industry might be missing those things but I do recommend that for everyone that's an asset owner uh, that has industrial systems or or any sort of automation to be checking those manuals I know it you know it's extra work but it's, it's probably worth it if you just skim the documents a sound advice so you did a post the other day on, on LinkedIn, and I've actually seen a few other people sharing the same article. And it's an article, for those that don't know, it's an article uh, around, I think it was a hacker, just somebody, uh, they always like to throw a hacker on the, on the article, so I don't know for sure, but somebody bought old Tesla parts on eBay, I think it was, and it had sensitive data on that. So Ron, in your opinion, is there a way that the, really kind of the average person, because yes, many of us are practitioners, we could probably understand how to wipe the data but what could like the average person out there do when they're like going to sell their car or something to wipe out any personal information that might be being left behind if that's even possible so do you mind speaking on that a little bit sure sure yeah so in the case of something like a car uh, they do have factory reset functionality or capabilities built into them uh, ideally um, there's not much you can do in terms of a physical destruction which i think is what you're getting at in terms of software, yeah, you can you could do a factory reset of it, and hopefully that does what we call a secure erase. Um, and usually there, there's that functionality is usually embedded into various embedded systems, but it might not be entire, right? So there might be leftover information. So in the case of a Tesla car, there is, it sounded like it was um, an engine management system or something akin to that uh, in an electric car. And that had user information, so who had purchased it, uh, customer order, that type of information. Now, I wouldn't say that that's truly risky, um, but maybe because the, the car has been hooked up to your phone, so there's a pairing with your Bluetooth, and 
maybe it can read your text messages. I don't, I don't know. I don't own a Tesla, so I can't say for certain, but yeah, there was some sort of leftovers in there and maybe the, the erase factor reset uh, functionality wasn't working in that version of software or hardware and, and stuff like that. So you can't, so in that type of uh, solution, you might not be, be, or a product, you might not be able to erase it properly. Now, the one that we're all probably thinking more about is our, our cellular devices, our mobile phones. Those ones, they do have a factory reset option. I, I question if it actually truly erases the, the, the flash properly. It should, but it might not um, because there can be things left over uh, in the bootloader or maybe it's just, uh, it's just erasing the segments in it just because in a certain way that prolongs the longevity of the device. So they might not do a proper uh, deep reset of all of the bits that are contained in the in the storage for these devices, but that uh, that could be a risk. But again, always factory reset and double check it, and hopefully someone without the knowledge is uh, after you. Now, if you're not a big fish uh, for for let's say a nation state to come after you, they're probably not going to come after your, your recycled phone that you're maybe selling on Kijiji or Craigslist. Uh, but your personal laptop, if it does have a removable hard drive on it take it out, uh, smash it with a sledgehammer. If it was a traditional hard drive, I used to say, smash it with a sledgehammer until it sounded like a, a pair of maracas. Um, that's pretty pretty short of physical destruction is the only way you're really sure to be rid of your, all of your information. Um, and then for traditional hardware, hard drives, there's also other software out there. Um, I believe on SourceForge or GitHub uh, that they have ISOs that had used the same methods that uh, law enforcement used to securely shred uh, storage. So you could try something like that too if you were more inclined. Okay, great. So one of the biggest questions I always get, and, and, it's, and a lot of times it's around more of the general infosec roles, but do you have recommendations, Ron, on how people that are maybe listening to this and they're like, oh, that sounds exciting, the ICS, SCADA, OT, space, critical infrastructure sounds cool to me. Are there, you have any recommendations on maybe courses or websites they should visit, certain books they should read, just to kind of get some knowledge around it to get their first start in the industry? Yeah, and, and, my, and I recognize my past is definitely going to be uh, not representative of probably most people's, just, just given uh, how Canada has largely been a in very industrious country. Uh, despite what you might think uh, for popular opinion, but we're, so I have a very different past and family history as well, which brought me into the space. But what I do recommend for people is to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And what that means is if I gave you an industrial device today and you were inclined to figure it out without you asking me very obvious questions to be able to use your Google foo or your problem solving abilities, to make a very good first effort on a, on a device um, or, or a system, that's a great place to start. Just that mindset alone, being able to, to, to make a solid effort and you know, get some level of understanding and, and then be able to ask more pointed questions. That, that, that strategy there, I think, is a humongous benefit uh, that would separate a person from their peers almost instantly. I can sense it almost, without a doubt. If I saw 100 people, for, for, for an example, I bet you less than 10 people have that, have that mentality. So if you can have that, that one out of 10 mentality, you're already going to be a rock star in my books. Uh, if you're early in your career, I recommend uh, checking out 
various sources of information. There's a website called RealPAR. I think it's RealPAR. Uh, they have a bunch of web uh, courses and online videos about industrial devices. Great, great place to get started, but doesn't really help with the cybersecurity side. Um, and in the OT space, cybersecurity is not the same as your traditional, you know, enterprise IT cybersecurity. It's very different. It's in in critical infrastructure and what we call operational technology OT. It's way more pragmatic and it's actually more akin to engineering. Uh, cyber, you know, I wouldn't say cybersecurity, but cyber components enable devices and connectivity. Um, yes, they can cause security, but it's it's not the same. It's not about information. It's about maintaining uh, maintaining something and keeping it up and running as you expected. So we we focus instead of on the the CIA triad, which is confidentiality, integrity, and availability. We focus on what I like to call, and I I borrowed this from someone else. I can't remember who, but SRP, which is safety, reliability, and productivity. Those three things really trump. The equations on how you think of things. So if you look up, if you always, you know, focus on that kind of engineering side and you put your mind into that, into that way, uh, that's a great place to get started. Uh, in terms of websites and people to follow, uh, there's your your usual suspects uh, that I won't name, um, but but they have they have a lot of good source of information. Now whether or not I truly believe their opinions is is a debate. Uh, whether or not they believe mine is another altogether too. But uh, there's a lot of great resources out there and. Um, you know, you just Google things like manuals, industrial protocols. Wikipedia is a great place to start. Uh, ISA.org is another good place to start. Uh, it has all of the standards for for these various things, and for a relatively low amount, that's, I think it's around 100 US dollars per year, you have all the access uh, to online standards that you can read and get acquainted with uh, with a lot of the functionality. And then having said that, if you choose not to, to purchase a uh, membership to that type of information, you can get a very close analog to it if you if you look at the NIST, which is the national, oh boy, I don't even know what that stands for anymore. I'm not an American. Um, it's been a while since I looked at it. NIST. The National Institute of Standards and Technology. Yeah. If you look at their, their cybersecurity framework, the CSS, I think it's 800-53, if I recall. Uh, and you combine that with their ICS uh, special publication, which is 800-82R2. Just double checking. Yes, uh, 800-82R2. That document uh, combines our, the, the IT NIST framework, which, which is largely applicable to the OT space, but with caveat. And you can overlay the 882 on it, uh, and it gives you guidance on how to do so. So between those two documents, uh, that's a great place to get started. Uh, and then there's various forums across the web uh, that are focusing on industrial. What I really recommend to people, though, is to try and avoid the the hoodies, you know, the the hackers and hoodies kind of you know mentality, Mr. Robot type stuff, and focus more on what it is that these organizations are doing, and it's their engineering base. So if you look at it, for where would an engineer go to get information? Where would how would they tackle that? What kind of schools did they go to? Um, and you know, where do they kind of hang out? That mindset will, will, will make you an up and comer for sure in this field because you will face far less adversary or yeah, far less adversary uh, attitudes when you go to a site and uh, you're not just another IT person telling them to go patch their systems. It's, it's a very different mindset. So I recommend people really get into the mindset uh, of the OT individuals that are focused on safety, uh, reliability, and productivity.
That's excellent advice. So Ron, do you have any final thoughts for the audience? Should they be focused on the latest and greatest tool or should they be focused on something else? Ooh, good question. That's a management type question as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess you're a manager of your own career too. The, I, I would tell people to focus on the basics. Uh, and I know people hate the word cyber hygiene. I hate, I hate that, that phrase, but there's a lot of technologies out there. Like we're really getting a good understanding of network captures getting a good understanding of networking devices, getting a good understanding of, of maybe even just learning how to program a, a, a PLC, uh, stuff like that, getting a good handle on the basics. And maybe even, and, and definitely, I would say definitely know how to program, right? Whether or not it's on a ladder logic, but at least in C, uh, you know, getting really down, down to grips of things. And, and that's what I could really say would be a good start. Don't focus on the latest and greatest. I'm actually in the camp where threat intelligence and those feeds are actually very little value for the, for most organizations. And the reason why I say that is those are capabilities that enhance a mature organization. So most organizations don't have the basics down. Well, it doesn't matter if you're on fire, if you can't do anything about it. So that's, so I, I tell people not to focus on these big things. And if you're looking at a management track, you want to focus on technologies that give you, uh, you know, a good return on investment and actually that have low total cost of ownership. So it's, it's kind of, it's catch 22, right? You want to balance your time and efforts. We'll also put yourself in the perspective of someone who, who's trying to protect an organization. And if you kind of align with that and know how to do a bunch of things like uh, writing policies and procedures and knowing how to monitor those devices and what policy or playbook you'd engage from uh, to handle an event, you know, that whole holistic thing is people process and technology. That's where people should be focused on uh, and not the greatest uh, silver bullet or shiny thing they see that comes out uh, from the next uh, Gartner type publication. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks again, Ron. I appreciate you hopping on. I know you're a pretty busy guy, so I appreciate you hopping on. You shared a lot of valuable information and I'd uh, love to have you, have you back sometime. Yeah, thank you so much, Ken. I uh, really appreciate it and let, let's keep in touch. <laughs>